Well, good evening, you guys. Welcome to Wednesday Night Community. It's so good to see everyone here. Uh, we only have three more weeks, and then we take a break for summer. So just as far as kind of as you're thinking about the schedule here, only three more weeks of our Wednesday nights before we take a little break. Um, we started a new series a couple weeks ago looking at this idea of um, five spiritual growth catalysts. And here's, here's, kind, of, here's kind of why why we're diving into this or talking about this is we've said if if we were honest maybe the most significant battle struggle challenge that's going on every single day is not anything exterior to us but it would be something going on interior it would be an interior battle or an interior struggle and we talked about this idea that from the very foundation of the world the creation of humanity God, God sets humans up to flourish. He has this plan of flourishing, and he paints pictures of what flourishing human life looks like. But because of sin, because of rebellion against God, unplugging from the power source of God, there's, there's this life of, that we call it a languishing life. And it's a life of, of moving away from God, a life of kind of defining myself by my own terms on my own. And this reality that as we come to Christ, there's, there's this struggle between kind of the best version of, of me, the one that God dreamed up for me to be, the one that I want to be ultimately. But then there's this also languishing version of me inside that I can very easily go to as I develop bad habits, as my mind uh, develops poor thinking patterns, as my behaviors toward others goes in certain directions. So there's kind of these two great versions of me and i find that the times that as i'm moving closer to the flourishing self in in my mind and my spirit my relationships all everything that makes up me but every time that i i take another step closer to that flourishing version of myself something caused it there was something there was what we're calling a catalyst some, something that kind of initiated a movement initiated something of me kind of surrendering another little piece of my life, being conformed a little bit more to the image of Christ. And we also talked about this idea that, that the cool part is this isn't something that we're kind of doing on our own. And God's going, well, okay, if that's what you want to do. God's more committed to you and to me reaching our flourishing selves than we are. So he's deeply, deeply committed to this project and, and so we talked about if, if we were to sit down and say, okay, all the times in my life when I've experienced a bump, like a movement further closer to my flourishing self, what was that? Like what was going on? What, what was happening? And we said we would have hundreds of things on our lists and our list wouldn't always look the same. But I think we could probably take everything on our list and put it in one of five buckets. And that's what we're walking through each week here. So last week we started inside your bolts and we've got these five listed there. The first one we talked about was practical teaching. The idea that the first time or different times that we come in contact with biblical truth that has handles. It's practical. I know what to do with it. I know how to apply it to my life. That's, that's a bump. That's a movement toward my flourishing self. And then secondly, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, private disciplines. And third is personal ministry. When you step into something, start serving in some way, maybe that's beyond your capacity and you see God come through and your trust in him grows. The fourth is providential relationships. A person who intersects your life at just the right time and, and you realize, man, God provided that in my life at that moment. And then the last one is pivotal circumstances. 
could be really, really challenging, difficult things, but somehow God uses those to bring you closer to himself, or wonderful celebratory things. But tonight we're going to be looking at the second one, private, private disciplines. When, when people typically tell their, uh, their stories, their faith journeys, they, they tend to reference um, someone, someone taught me how to read the Bible, like on my own. It was so intimidating, I didn't know where the books were, but like... For the first time, I kind of read just a little tiny passage of Scripture by myself. And it wasn't me just listening to someone else's thoughts on the Bible. I was actually encountering God on my own, privately, all on my own, through reading Scripture. Or, or someone will say, you know, a spiritual discipline for me was, man, I started, I started giving a percentage of my income to God. I started doing percent giving. And, you know, I didn't start at a full tithe, 10%, but I started at a percentage giving. And, and man, what I saw is like, it had this way of like breaking the control that money had on my life in this weird way. And, and I still saw God pride and come through and that, that, that expanded my faith or my, my trust in him. Or maybe, man, I, I started praying, again, kind of privately, not around anyone else, but just started praying privately on my own and introduced, I don't know, this like sense of closeness or intimacy with God that I just didn't really know before. Or maybe it was... You know, the first time that I kind of, man, I was nervous, but um, this, this discipline of, of confession, like with another person, I kind of confessed just some struggles and things in my life, and it was a trusted spiritual friendship. And there was just this sense of like weight lifted off me, this kind of freedom that came to my heart. People will, ex- will explain all of these different experiences around spiritual disciplines or private disciplines but see there's there's a direct correlation here's the point there's a direct correlation between your private life your interior world and your personal faith absolutely is i i cannot neglect private disciplines and think my personal faith will continue growing or will stay intact it just won't you want to know what a, what a great conversation stopper is? You want to like make a room really, really awkward? Walk into the room and, and, and try asking people this question. Uh, how are your spiritual disciplines going? Right? You know how awkward that is? Like super, super weird. It just stops everything. It makes everything really awkward. See, here's the danger for tonight's topic. And I've been thinking about this all week as we're coming up to this one. This one I'm almost more hesitant to talk about because... Unless you walked into this room tonight, maybe with a little bit of kind of spiritual pride and arrogance, like when you saw spiritual disciplines, you're like, oh, yeah, I got that covered. Probably most of us felt a little guilty. I bet you did. I bet you kind of had the sense of, oh, I could do more. And then, oh, okay, this is going to be one of those ones where I walk out kind of feeling like a slob, but I'm encouraged to do something different. And I know I'll, I'll you know, try. I'm sure I won't do it, but I'll kind of, okay, this is one of those sermons where I just have to feel bad for a while. Next week will you know, we'll be better. But we, we kind of just generally feel it's a list of shoulds, oughts, and yeah, I know I'm not doing enough, you know, kind of thing. Um, if you've heard a message like that before, I don't want this one to be a message like that. I'm hoping this will be different. No, no guilt unnecessarily and no shame. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, talking about this life with the Spirit of God. And he says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, and he uses this cool word, there's, he said there's freedom. Spiritual disciplines, if understood biblically, have more of this tone of freedom rather than, ugh, Ought kind of like feels really awkward and this isn't right generally 
See, my hope is that you and I walk away tonight feeling a little freed up. Actually, maybe even a little excited to, to explore and try something with, with, with no sense of uh, weird sense of ought, should, or a weird sense of uh, guilt or shame or anything like that. Now, let me just say just a couple things about spiritual disciplines in general before we get into this. And this is important. This is super, super important. The point of spiritual disciplines is not to become a master at spiritual disciplines. Okay, like you get that? The point of spiritual disciplines is not to become a master at doing spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. That's it. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. What is that end? Life transformation. Looking like Christ. That's the end. That's the goal. That's, that, that's the flourishing self. That's the idea that God has in mind. He said, I want you to look like Christ internally, inwardly, your reactions and thoughts. But it's, we just have to keep this in, in wraps because we can very quickly start to think, well, the more I practice or how I practice or what I practice, that's sort of evidence of spiritual maturity. And it really, really is not. You could practice tons of spiritual disciplines, but if it's not this inward reality, if it's not this, you doing it with the spirit in the right method, in the right attitude, it, it has no effect. It does nothing. It's not brownie points. It's not, you know, I, I did three times this week and, you know, verses two the week before it has nothing to do with that. Galatians 4, 19, Paul uses this, this great image to speak of. Here's the goal. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that language unique? The goal is that Christ would be formed in you. See, the goal for all of us is Christ-like spiritual formation. Because we said, we said this earlier, everyone's engaged in spiritual formation. You are, I am, every day, every minute. I'm constantly being formed. It's just what direction? It's what shape? Christ-like spiritual formation, that's a specific path. But everyone is being formed spiritually. And so it's, it's with our wills and our minds, if, if they would become so captured by the beauty of the person of Christ that I find myself loving what I ought to love. I find myself naturally, effortlessly doing the right thing at the right time and in the right way and for the right reasons. See, this, this is what Paul was talking about when he said in 1 Corinthians 2.16, um, when he says that, um, the person who is connected to the spirit that they have in his language, the mind of Christ. That's what he's meaning is that Christian formation is where my attitude, my thoughts and my reactions naturally and effortlessly are the same as Christ's thoughts and attitudes and reactions. Not because I'm working hard at it, but because Christ is being formed in me. Here's what I'd like you to do. We do this every week. I want you to take three minutes, turn to your table, and I want you to discuss this one question here. Uh, what do you do that makes you feel fully alive? What, what do you do that makes you feel full? Now, every one of us knows what that feels like. Every one of us wants that. It might be going on a walk at sunset. 
it might, it might be picking up a book and just going through it and just kind of savoring the thoughts and the ideas and the words that the author is using. It might, it might be sitting around like a, a, a bonfire or a little fire with, with friends and just laughter and fun. It might be playing an instrument. What, what is it that makes you feel, man, when I'm doing that, I'm fully alive. Okay, three minutes at your table and then we'll pull back together. Okay. Did anyone say coming on when to Wednesday night community? Okay. I know you didn't. Okay. What are a couple of things that were said? Any 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 quick short statements of doing something makes you feel fully alive? Did I hear someone say taxes? Oh, that's disgusting. You're sick. 
worship. Okay. Skiing. Yeah. What else? Being up in veil. Okay, certain environment, outdoors. Finding out what you love to do is God's work. What else? What other ones? What's that? Basketball. Okay. Music? There was one more I missed. Eating my wife's lasagna. Would you invite me over for your wife's lasagna? That sounds way of food, joy. See, all of us know this. We have these experiences that we say, man, when I do this, I love it. I come alive. It's just, why do I talk about this? Because I would suggest a biblical view of private disciplines can look a lot more like that. It can feel a lot more like that. Um, Let me... Let me define, and here's how I want to kind of, you might kind of go, yeah, sure you say that you're a preacher, that's, what, that's your job, right? Just say, no, 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 no. <clears throat> let, me, let me define the word, or the concept of kind of a, I'm going to use a general word, spiritual practice, okay? A spiritual practice. I would suggest that a spiritual practice is any activity you engage in to be more fully alive by the Spirit of God. Because, see, here's a question that all of us, I have to answer, you have to answer. We have to answer, what counts as a spiritual thing? You ever thought about that? Like, what counts as spiritual? When, when we say spiritual practice, what counts as a spiritual practice? And again, I would suggest that what counts, of what makes something or an activity spiritual is not necessarily the activity itself. It's whether I'm doing it with and through the Holy Spirit. That's simply it. It has to do with the presence and the, and the interaction with the Spirit while I'm doing the activity. I can work or ski with joy. That's a spiritual practice. I can, I can, if I tip generously in a restaurant, that can be a spiritual practice. If I sit and I listen patiently with someone who's hurting, that counts. <laughs> that can be a spiritual practice if I'm doing it with and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question for the remainder of this evening that I want to kind of address or ask is this, how should I figure out which disciplines I should do that are like that, that are life-giving, that I go, man, I come alive, I feel fully alive. How should I figure out which ones to do? And like, how do I do them? Because people practice them differently. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Let me read a passage of what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 10. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Some versions translated handiwork or workmanship. The New Living Translation says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. Those are those things you know, that we're talking about. He planned for us long ago. Now, notice the Bible does not say you're an appliance. You're a masterpiece. An appliance is mass-produced. Whirlpool 6000s are all made the exact same way. Masterpieces are handcrafted. Each one is different, 
the process they go through to become the masterpiece is different as well. There's not one masterpiece that's exactly the same as another. And see, a lot of approaches to to spiritual formation, spiritual transformation, kind of assume that the same methods are going to produce the same results in everyone across the board. But they don't. See, the plan or the method to grow you will not be exactly like the one for anybody else. Now, the goal is the same, right? We said the goal is Christ likeness. The goal is for Christ to be formed in me. It's the same goal. But the process to get there is going to look different for all of us. Imagine if you went to a doctor and the doctor hands out the exact same prescription. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter what you have. Okay, well, if you have a headache, that's great. If your appendix just burst, you'll be dead before morning comes, right? Imagine if you have kids and you say, no matter how many kids I have, I'm going to raise them all the exact same way. They're going to be motivated by the same rewards. They're going to be curbed by the same punishments. And they're all going to be attracted to the same activity, right? (laughs) And then you have kids. Um, Reality shatters that. Individual growth methods is exactly what we see in Scripture. Think about it. Think about how God formed, how he, called, how, how, how he interacted with people. God wrestled with Jacob. He argued with Job. He whispered to Elijah. He warned Cain. He comforted Hagar. And Jesus' interactions are the exact same way. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler. He was tender with the woman caught in adultery. He was patient with his disciples. He, he, he was blistering with the scribes. He was gentle with children. And he was gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grew two people exactly the same way. Remember this last series, we were looking at this interaction that Jesus had with Mary and Martha about Lazarus' death. They both had identical language of, of what they said. Th- their statement of, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You know, come, it's exactly the same. And with one, he almost kind of gently corrects her and almost rebukes her. With the other one, he doesn't say a word. He just cries with her. Why? Because he never grows two people, even in the exact same circumstance. He never grows them the exact same way. See, here's the problem with often about how we talk about private disciplines. Many people listen to a sermon, you know, usually from the pastor or whatever, or they read a book. About spiritual disciplines and they say, okay, this person is an expert on it. The way they do it must kind of be the way. And so the person talks about, well, here's how I do it. Or I give you an idea as to, you know, what I might do. And then you go, oh, that's, that's got to be it. So I take it home and I try it and then it doesn't really work. And I get frustrated and I feel inadequate. And then I, I might give up, right? Because, of course, I'm a different person. So I want to suggest that it's absolutely necessary, you guys, absolutely necessary to understand how God has hard wired you how his spirit has hardwired you while you begin to explore private disciplines while you engage in private disciplines you had better know how you are hardwired or it will not work and of course this is a sacred process we're talking about the image of christ or christ being formed inside of us so let me give you a couple things here the first thing that i would suggest you have to i have to think about and it's a serious spiritual matter is I have to know my temperament. Know your temperament. One of the most common temperament scales is what's, what's called the Myers-Briggs. In fact, if you, if you turn your bulletin over on the very back, 
you see the list, for instance, in this common uh, assessment. The Myers-Briggs assesses uh, temperament. Are you introverted or extroverted? Do, do you prefer data or, or intuition when coming to conclusions? And are you a thinker or a feeler? Do you like things orderly or open-ended? Now, why is this a spiritual question? <laughs> why is this so important for spiritual growth and private disciplines? And here's the answer. Because your temperament means that certain practices are going to come really naturally for you. More so than they will for others. Different temperaments are not better. They're not worse. They just are the way they are. See, everyone needs, let me give an example. Everyone needs to practice the discipline of solitude. Okay? Being alone, going away, getting rid of distractions, phones, and even people to where we're, I'm in solitude before God. And quietness. Everyone needs to do that. Now, if your personality is marked by introversion... You're going to have a lot better time doing this. Your capacity for solitude is going to be pretty phenomenal. The, the time that it takes to be alone to maybe get a task done, easy, easy for you to do. Now, if you're an extrovert, the notion of that might sound like a nightmare to you. You're like, oh, my goodness, that sounds so draining. Well, just, just try 15 minutes. You don't need to do a whole lot. Start small. Try, try 15 minutes. Remember, it's not about the time. People oftentimes ask, well, how much time should I do? Remember, it's not about the time. Because it's about the spirit, about connecting with him. See, but in solitude, it's important because I remember things like, you know what? The people and the relationships in my life, they're, they're temporary. And so their opinion of me shouldn't determine everything. I remember in solitude, God's opinion of me is what really matters. So many things come out in solitude. If you're an introvert... And you love solitude. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual than the extrovert sitting next to you. See, for the extrovert, another discipline, which is friendship and community. That's a spiritual discipline. Friendship and community. This is this is probably this comes like second nature. This is so easy. And the extrovert might kind of have a. Uh, a head start in their ability to love people because it just comes so natural. Man, they love talking. They love walking up to someone they've never even met before. I know a lady, Tina, who she goes to thrift shops, and this is like her ministry. She hangs out in thrift shops, and she just looks for a way to compliment people. Like she just goes, that dress looks beautiful on you. And they're like, oh, thank you. It's like, yeah, hey. So, and she just like jumps in, not in a weird way. That sounds weird, but it's... It, it, it's pretty natural, you know, all this stuff. But, but this is, I mean, she's an extrovert to the bone. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's so natural for her to engage in the disciplines of community and fellowship. And she will sit and listen to this person in the thrift shop talk for an hour and a half about what's going on with her mother. And this has just happened. And she's just, oh, she's just listening to him. She's listening. Some of you, that would kill you. You'd be ready to kill yourself or the person in the thrift shop if you had to do something like that. See, some, some people's temperaments crave uh, regularity. You crave order. You want closure. You want things to have kind of a closed end. If this is you, having like a set prayer time, maybe making a list of prayers that you've had and how God has answered, man, when you do that, you feel so close to God. You feel so connected. And you might keep that. Like I know people who have read, they've got books and books of years of specific prayers, lists that they've made and how God has answered. And they can go back and talk about it. And man, these lists just make them feel so close to God in this way. Now, if you have a temperament that, that craves spontaneity, it craves change, 
your prayer life is never, ever, ever going to look anything close to a list. It'll never look anything like that. Now, you may have tried the list and, yeah, oh, I'm so, you know, I can't do it. And then you feel guilty because, well, my, my, my mom does the list and I should really do that like my mom. You're never going to be like that. And that's okay. You're not less spiritual. You're messier, but you're not any less spiritual in that way. Now, or better, you're, you're better. That, that's a feeling better. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I know someone who... Um, because of kind of their struggles to stay focused in prayer time, you know, they sit in a room and it's just, man, 30 seconds and their mind's going somewhere else. They, they go on walks and they just walk around. And there's something about the act of the environment in front of them changing enough that it keeps their mind focused. And he turns these walks just into prayer times that he does. So it's important to know your temperament as you begin to explore private disciplines. Number two, secondly, you need to know your spiritual pathway. Uh, Gary Thomas uh, wrote a book a, a few years ago called Sacred, Sacred Pathways. He called them Sacred Pathways, just what we're calling um, spiritual pathways. This is also on the back of your of your bulletin in this list here. What this is, is these are basically um, ways that we find naturally help us experience or feel close to God. It doesn't mean that doing this causes God to be close. It's that when I'm engaged in this kind of activity, I just I'm aware of his closeness, if that if that makes makes sense. So the naturalist, this is a person who, man, when I, I've got a friend, Heather, and she when she goes for a hike, when she you know goes outside for a run, I mean, she comes back spiritually rejuvenated because it's during that time that she just feels close to God. She's talking to him. She's aware of his presence or you might you might be. Um, uh, an activist and some great cause when you actually press and when you do some some work some activity towards some great cause in the midst of it you go oh I just sense God I feel like I'm, I'm doing what he's called me to do and you just have this sense of his of his closeness see for me because one of one of my pathways is is intellectual I find myself drawn deeply to God by maybe a book that that I'm reading um, that would put my wife to sleep. I mean, just would have no and wouldn't feel close to God. But I might just be reading a book or, or listening to a lecture or something. Like, and I just and, and I stop and there's just something about some idea that I just kind of go, wow, God. And I and I kind of connect that thought to God. And I think oh, all truth is God's truth. And to me, that's a reflection. I, I feel closer to God at those moments. See, it's, it's good to be familiar with all of these pathways. It's good to explore and to try all of them as you engage in them. But you'll find that one or two of them is the most gripping for you. You really, really connect in that way. Those will be the most sustainable ones, too, because they're the ones that, of course, you have the highest desire for. It's just going to naturally, easily happen. It's the, that's why I love skiing or wife's lasagna or whatever. Why? It's not hard to do it because I naturally do it. And this is what's so freeing about this thing of being yoked with Christ is he says, I've made you a certain way. I want you to know how you're made. And then I want you to engage in the private disciplines in ways that are, that are coherent with how I've made you. I'm not asking you to be all, all, you'll never be asked why you weren't like someone else. You will be asked why you weren't your flourishing self. Um, I was thinking this last week. There's someone who uh, I know who is quite bright, 
quite intelligent, loves God deeply, hates to read, hates, just can't stand reading. Any, any spiritual program or spiritual path that involves a lot of reading, it's just not going to be that helpful for this person. Now, they have a high capacity to learn, but they, they learn a different way. Um, and this gets us to the third piece here. Know your learning style. And this is also on the back. Know your learning style. Aren't, aren't you glad that spiritual growth is not restricted to people who can like stand to sit and do like sit in a classroom? Like my wife always talks about this. You know, she goes, you could just like be a student for the rest of your life. And I go, yeah, I'd love to like not work and just sit in a classroom the rest of the Like I love it. It's awesome to me. She that just sounds miserable. I mean, it's not horrible to her. So people have different learning styles and it's not like one is better. You might you might be visual, man, when I'm seeing stuff. Or, or you might be someone who is, who is tactile. When you're actually doing something, it's way, way more productive than listening to someone talk about it in a way. Um, this, this friend that I was talking about who I said just you know, can't stand to read, he's still engaged. I mean, things like, things like the Bible are a must. I mean, he knows that. He goes, I, I, can't, I can't grow spiritually without Scripture. But he, you know, he's got version on his iPhone. And he's listening to it. He doesn't really read, but he, he plugs it in his car and he listens to the Bible. So he's got a Bible reading plan, but he's, he's learning in an auditory way because that lines up with him. Other people, you know, learn by doing trial and error. Uh, if that's you, s- sitting in a church service for an hour is never going to be your primary way of learning. Um, one hour of doing might be worth 10 hours of sitting and, and listening to someone. Uh, try different styles of learning to see which connects. And if, if something seems like a drudgery, it might be because it's not your learning style. But you thought that was the way you had to do it because that's who the person who mentored you or your friend or your pastor or your small group leader. That's what they did. So you thought, well, that's the way I got to do it. And this is what I'm saying is the spirit says, no, no, no. There are so many ways that you can learn, that you can grow. I, I was pulling into church this morning. There was, a, there was a person in front of me. I don't know if this has some meaning. If it doesn't, it's weird or anything. I'm sorry. I don't know anything about it. But there's a bumper sticker on this car, and it said, Reading is sexy. And it had kind of like an outline of a you know, woman thing. And I thought, I love to read, but that person's crazy about reading. I mean, reading's not sexy. You know, the, the, the reading's cool. I love reading. But this person's passionate. I mean, they put a bumper sticker on their car about how much they love reading. I thought, sorry, we're, we're thinking about sexy now instead of spiritual discipline. So we should get back to this. Um, number four. Um, let me say something about this. Is, this isn't on the back of your uh, bulletin, but it's, it's something that I think just we need to be aware of or think about. And that's our season of life. Season of life that we're in. Um, you may reach seasons in your life where you feel you start to feel spiritually dry. You feel kind of stalled. You feel like the things you were doing that kind of worked before the methods aren't producing the same result. They're not having that same bump of, man, I'm moving toward my flourishing self. Um, and w- what, what you do is need to change. Uh, I remember about, this is about a year ago or so, uh, having conversations with some talking about prayer and you know, prayer life and that sort of thing. And uh, just feeling like it was just, I don't know, flat, my my prayer life, it was, I was easily getting distracted and, you know, I tried to locate, okay, am I tired or what's, you know, what's going on? But um, what I did is, is I ended up picking up a, uh, the Church of England's Book of Common Prayer. 
and it has these written beautiful prayers in them. And there was another book that kind of compiles these scriptures and prayers. And I started using that almost as a way to like prime the pump. And it helped. It kind of revitalized some of that. And I still go back to that. And that's probably not my thing. I probably won't be there always. But see, here's the point is you're, you're going to, especially if, if you've just started to follow Christ, um, there are certain spiritual practices that are really, really catalytic for growth for you early on. And they're going to change, meaning you need different practices later. People, people who, who first give their life to Christ and they go, oh, man, and they come to church. They, they will report and say, man, a weekend service, like when I come to church, I listen to it. Oh, my goodness. They always oh, read my mail. He's I can't believe every single way. How does he know? Does, you know, is someone talking? Is my mom calling him and telling him what's going on in my life or whatever? Because it's like totally about me. And I've seen this time and time and time again. And it's so sad because we don't tell people about three years down the road, roughly. They go like this. And I've heard this hundred times. You know, the sermons aren't as deep as they used to be. They're not they're, they're just not as good. It's not as it's not it's not meeting my needs. And the sermons haven't changed. Their needs have changed. And so they go, well, yeah, I just so I think I'm, and, then, and then they bump. I'm going to I'm going to try another church and it's novel. And so it feels deeper and that sort of thing. And then the same experience happens there because they don't learn. Oh, as I grow, my needs are going to change. Things that meet a need early on will not meet the same need later on. And if you're not aware of that, you'll hit it like a brick wall. And you'll just go, what's going on? What's happening? What's something's wrong with me? You'll go to lots of different places, but you'll be unaware that your needs are going to change. Think about this sort of illustration. You, you guys know like a, like a tomato plant or certain trees, they need to be secured to a stake uh, outside or, or, or a vine oftentimes will need a lattice to grow. There are periods of your life and not just early on, where you will need some sort of a lattice. That's what I experienced in that prayer time where I said, I need, I need something. I need, a, I need an aid. I need a resource. I need something to help me because I feel dry. And so using the Book of Common Prayer was that lattice for me. And so you're going to need that at different times in your life. Um, there's a, a, the very, very bottom of the back of your bulletin is a list. And there's, there's no exhaustive list or anything. This is one that came from Dallas Willard. I just like it because he breaks it down into two categories. Disciplines of detachment, that is pulling back things like solitude and silence and fasting. And then disciplines of engagement, study, worship, celebration, and understanding those kind of two different aspects of like a tide going back and forth, two different categories. And see, here's, here's the final challenge for all of us tonight. Um, I want to challenge us to this this week, not not like y'all do that, this week to actually begin engaging in some way. Maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you have and you just are going to go back. to. But in in one of these disciplines, just pick one. It doesn't matter which one. Try it. And remember, it's it's not something like, oh, once I do it and if I I don't like that, I'm going to feel guilty. No, no, no. Remember, this is exploration. You're, you're exploring how the Spirit has hardwired you and how you can, in a, in a life-giving, oh man, fully alive way, engage. Now, that doesn't mean every single time you engage in spiritual discipline. It's, it, there are things like confession, right? There are things like repentance that they're difficult and they're hard. And it's not fun, but it's still an element of growth, of spiritual growth. But I would encourage you this week to step into, try one of these and, and again, you know, do different things. If you're if you're a sensate, imaginative person and you find reading the Bible difficult, uh, there's an ancient practice 
called the Ignatian Contemplation. And it asks you to, to compose the senses. What that means is when you read a passage of Scripture, like maybe you pick up the passage where Jesus is on the, after the resurrection and he's on the beach and he's frying the fish and Peter's out in the water. He says, just re- read a passage and then stop and just try to, with all five of your senses, create it in your mind because you're an imaginative person. You're a sensei. You need, you need kind of you know, that tactile stuff. What, is, what does the fish sound like as it's cooking on the grill? What is it like the sound of the waves coming in, the smell of the salt air and the breeze? Put, put yourself there as you read a tiny portion of Scripture. And it keeps, if that's how you learn, it keeps you engaged in a way that you wouldn't be. Or try just memorizing a very small passage of Scripture. Get a tiny proverb. Just grab one. And say, I'm going to put this to memory. And I'm going to remember. It doesn't have to be long. I know, I know people who, uh, I've got a buddy who, I won't say his names, he'd be embarrassed, but he's got like all of the Friends episodes, like all, I don't know how many seasons, every episode, he knows what, everything happened, and he's always referencing it, like something will happen, he'll be like, oh, remember that was in season four or whatever, you know, when Chandler did this, like everything to him is a reference to the television show Friends, right? We can memorize easily, it's just a matter, again, what we find life doing, what, what we really enjoy, or maybe meditate. Meditate on a small passage. Get a little passage, a little tiny passage. And here's if you can worry, you can meditate. That's all it is. Meditation is just rolling an idea around in your head again and again. That's all it is. See, another discipline is celebration. And, you know, we need to realize this celebration and joy in the Old Testament. Think about how many times God told the Hebrew people, he goes, hey, stop working. I want you to have a party. They had parties or festivals all throughout the year. And so often he said, I want you to stop. Why? Because I want you to experience joy. A lot of reasons. When you have a joyless life, you are never more in danger of temptation. Number one. But when you experience joy and you connect it to the joy giver to God, it's a spiritual discipline. So this week, is there a food you love? Your wife's lasagna. Is there a food you love to eat? Sit down and eat it. And eat it slowly and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for food. Thank you for taste. That's a discipline of joy. Are there clothes you like to wear? Wear the clothes. Are there people who are joy suckers in your life? And they just suck the joy. Call them and say, I can't be with you today. Today's a day of joy. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't do that. C.S. Lewis writes, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. The spiritual disciplines are ones of joy. The purpose, the goal, is to be made in the image of Christ. To look more like him internally. Let me close with Philippians 4.8. And we'll pray. Philippians 4.8. Listen, listen to what... Remember we defined what a spiritual practice is. And we said, what's spiritual and we said, well, it's, it doesn't necessarily depend on the practice. It's am I doing it in the, with in the power of the Spirit. Philippians 4, 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. That's pretty broad. If anything is beautiful, if anything is praiseworthy if anything is honorable if anything is good think on those things let that be your focus you and i have an enormous amount of freedom as we're invited into this second 
bucket, the second catalyst here of private disciplines. It's not drudgery. It's an invitation into joy. But you have to work hard to figure out, how am I going to experience joy? I have to do it in a way that lines up with the way the Spirit has hardwired me. And that's our job. That's what we explore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you for this thing that we call private disciplines, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. The training, really, that it is the training for eternity. The training to encounter infinite joy. That's what it is, God. For, for those of us, and I would put myself in that category in some ways, too, who, when we go to the place of spiritual disciplines, oh, we just kind of recoil. It's fingers on the chalkboard. It's guilt. It's shame. God, would you, would you just wipe that away in some way that only your spirit can do? God, I know that the enemy would love, love, love for us to live in that. If this is one of the spiritual growth catalysts that moves us into the image of Christ, the enemy would love for us to look at it and think about it in this negative, joyless, drudgery sort of manner. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts and our minds this evening and as we go out, that we would have a freedom as we think about it. We would be creative in the ways that we try to pursue it. Father, Thank you that all activities which open us up to your power and help us live the life that Jesus taught and modeled, that's spiritual and that's what you call us to. And we want to be obedient to that. Thank you for desiring our flourishing even more than we do. We pray this in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen. Amen.